thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The 2020 season has come to an end. There's no final to talk about yesterday. There's nothing, no games to discuss, no games to dig in. in. We just have a bizarre 60-game season. We just have a disappointing 2020 postseason run. And we got to move forward from it. Unfortunately, as Indians fans, as the case with a lot of fan bases, you just have to keep moving on. Now, I've seen Indians Twitter, and they've been pissed for the last week. They've been really upset. They've been mad at the Dolans. They've been mad about payroll. They've been mad at writers who have been giving the Dolans and payroll a break and trying to make excuses for this team. And in no way am I someone who's going to make excuses for the Indians or for the Dolans. I think the Dolans have drastically underspent on this team, especially during the Francisco Lindor years. And I think it's shown in the results. And I think we all know it. We're all aware of it. But I learned a long time ago that you you cannot let these things fester. You just can't as fans... You can't, you can't. I've seen too much heartbreak watching Browns games, watching Indians games, watching Ohio State Buckeyes games. There's just been too much heartbreak in sports to let it affect you that much. So what we do is we pick ourselves up and we move on and we look ahead. So part of this episode is going to be looking back. It's going to be looking back at the 2020 season. But to be honest, at this point, there's not much to look back at everything we thought we knew about this team after 60 games is thrown completely out the window in two games against the New York Yankees. I mean, everything we thought we knew this, it was this great pitching team that they could do just enough on offense to win a game. Um, and that the pitching would hold up. It all went out the window against the Yankees, the Yankees who the turn into the Bronx bombers again and absolutely obliterate us. They score 22 runs over two games. And, I mean, the way the offense did things, especially in the second game of that series, you would think in any other game this season that would be enough to win. But, nope, the pitching failed us. In the end, everything we thought we knew, the opposite happened in the playoffs. So that is one thing about the playoffs, right? The randomness of the playoffs Things you don't expect, teams you don't expect get hot, players you don't expect get hot. People become stars because of the playoffs that are just mediocre during the regular season. So the playoffs are a weird enigma in baseball, and a 60-game season is a weird enigma in baseball. So we'll look back a little bit, but then we have to. We have to turn our attention forward because we can't fix the 2020 season. The only thing we could do is look at what might be coming ahead. So diving back into the 2020 season, yes, the Indians finished 35 and 25. It was good enough for the fourth seed in the playoffs, second place in the American League Central. And it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing that the Central Divisions of Baseball sent seven teams to the playoffs, and they got swept in the first round. All seven teams lose in the first round. When you saw the Twins go down, you thought, well, that's not going to happen to us. And then sure enough, happens to us. You think at least, well, maybe the White Sox or the Cardinals will represent for the Central Divisions. Nope. They go down too. So uh, the entire American League and National League Central Divisions are out of the playoffs at this point. It's up to the coasts. 
basically at this point to decide a champion. Um, the Indians as a team. Now we talked about we talked about some of these stats in the last kind of regular season wrap up, but looking at the overall 2020 season stats, yes, it's confirmed. The Indians had the worst hitting in franchise history. However, it wasn't the worst batting average in baseball. The worst batting average in baseball actually actually goes to the Cincinnati Reds, who hit 212 as a team. It was their worst in their franchise history. Um, really bizarre. Indians finished 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8th from the bottom at 228. So, yeah, there were a lot of really, including Oakland, by the way, who's still in the playoffs. There were a lot of really bad offensive teams. Uh, it doesn't get any better when you look at things like OPS. We're actually fourth worst in OPS. Uh, home runs this year, we did not hit a lot of home runs. We, were, we hit 59 home runs against fourth from the bottom in American League, or in baseball, sorry, in all of baseball. Meanwhile, the Dodgers and Atlanta Braves hit over 100 home runs each. Um, run scored. Man, the Indians again. I mean, none of these stats are great. You know none of these stats are great. 248. The LA Dodgers were at 349. That's 101 more runs than we scored in a 60-game span. That is just brutal. Strikeouts. Uh, you would think the strikeouts were high. It felt like the strikeouts were high. We were actually right under league average. We had 517 strikeouts as a team. The league average was 520. So not as bad. And of course, the one thing the Cleveland Indians can do, we can walk. We were tied for third in baseball with Atlanta and Cincinnati at 239 walks. So literally, that's the only thing this team could do really well was walk and get on base that way. It didn't even give us a great on-base percentage compared to the rest of the league. It gave us just below league average on-base percentage, and we were third in baseball in walks. So that shows you how bad it is. Of course, on the pitching side, on the pitching side, it looks fantastic for the Cleveland Indians. They are second in baseball against the Dodgers when it comes to ERA. Oh, yeah, besides leading the league in most offensive categories, the Dodgers also led the league in most pitching categories. So we had a 329 team ERA behind the Dodgers at 302. Uh, ERA plus, remember, this is where the league is set, league average is set to 100, and then it's adjusted for ballpark. That's one thing about the pluses that we didn't talk about a lot. They're adjusted for a player's ballpark. Because obviously, if you're playing in Colorado or you're playing in Cleveland, it's going to be a lot different, right? Hitters parks, pitchers parks, different size fences. There's a whole bunch of things that go into it. So Cleveland is second behind the Dodgers again, 141, 140 for Cleveland, ERA plus. In FIP, FIP, remember, is fielding independent pitching. So these are the things the pitcher can control. Home runs, walks, hit by pitch, strikeouts. FIP is an important number for pitchers. Cleveland was the best in baseball with a 3.55 FIP. The next best was Minnesota at 3.79 and the Dodgers at 3.79. Uh, the next stat is whip. So just like fielding independent pitching, uh, things the pitcher control, whips are also things the pitcher has control over. It's walks plus hits 
divided by innings pitched. It's that easy. That is what whip is. And the Indians were second best in that behind the Dodgers. The Dodgers were at 1.056. The Indians were at 1.114. All right. Uh, The one thing we know the Indians were excellent at was strikeouts. Now, they led all of Major League Baseball, and this is definitely on the back of Shane Bieber. They led all of Major League Baseball with 621 strikeouts. Their strikeout per nine, however, did come in third behind Cincinnati Reds, whose strikeouts per nine were 11.0. Milwaukee was at 10.7, and the Indians were at 10.4 strikeouts per nine. Strikeouts per walk, the Indians are the best in baseball at 3.96, way ahead of even the Dodgers at 3.57. That's a huge margin right there. So the Indians, when it comes to strikeouts versus walks, the Indians were the best pitchers in baseball. All right, so there you go. I mean, those are some of the some of the team stats that I don't think we really got to in that last wrap-up episode. And uh, by position, it's what you would expect. So they have, um, this is all on baseball reference here. They have uh, basically, basically war, wins above average by position. So basically the war by by position, uh, the Indians are actually coming as a team, uh, are 11th in the league. But of course, the pitchers, all pitchers were first. Starting pitchers were first. Relief pitchers, we slip a little bit to 12th, but still okay from the relievers. And all the positions you would think, everything else, were pretty much towards the bottom of the league, aside from maybe third base and second base. We did okay there. Uh, even shortstop, even shortstop, we're middle of the pack at 13th when it comes to comparing the wins above average per position, looking at all the different teams. So those are the season stats for the Indians. It's not pretty. There, there are some interesting s- splits here, but they all look bad. They all look really bad. Our right-handed batters facing right-handed pitching only hit 218. Not great. Against left-handed pitching, they were expectedly better. They were at 242 with a 722 OPS. The left-handed batters against right-handed pitching facing the opposite were hit 233. Okay. But against left-handed pitching, our left-handed batters against left-handed pitching hit 079 with a 222 OPS. Now, the Indians avoided this as much as possible. They only had 42 plate appearances left on left as opposed to 539 plate appearances right on right. So, uh, yeah, so it's a small sample size, but it did not go well. 0.79 batting average left on left. So you could see why they platoon guys, why they try to sub guys out. Home versus away didn't really matter. We're pretty much even there. 233 batting average home, 222 batting average away. So, yeah. so the offensive stats, they're, they're not great. And even if you look at the splits, I can't really find a split here that says, hey, the Indians did that great this season. Um, you know, looking at the whole of the team, obviously, you know, let's go by position group here. And the catchers obviously were very disappointing. You got Roberto Perez as your main catcher. Sandy Leone as the main backup. Bo Taylor played a lot. And then Austin Hedges, who came in in the Mike Clevenger trade. And yeah, it's disappointing. It's really, they all hit really bad. Um, 
So their defense is great, but we really expected more from Perez. Now, he was dealing with some injuries. And Perez is going to be around. They're, I believe they have an option on Perez. Let's see here. Yeah. There is a team option for $5.5 million next year and a team option for $7 million the year after that. I would expect that option to be picked up. I don't think the Indians have any plans of moving on from Roberto Perez. They love his defense. They love the way he manages their pitching staff. And I think as long as the pitchers continue to be good, I think the Indians will sacrifice offense for someone who can control this pitching staff, who can block balls, who can throw out runners. And the way Roberto Perez does that, and the way Austin Hedges actually does that, Austin Hedges, the one thing coming out of San Diego, he was definitely known for his defense and not his hitting at all. So he's got two years of arbitration left. So my guess is Austin Hedges and Roberto Perez are going to be here for two more years. We're going to continue to stick with defense. The rest of the infield probably, I mean, this team is built around this infield. Lindor was disappointing. Jose Ramirez was fantastic. He's definitely in that conversation for MVP. We went into these individual stats. Cesar Hernandez, you got what you paid for. Cesar Hernandez might have been one of the top free agent signings of the entire offseason. And Carlos Santana was, again, a huge disappointment. We love the walks. Yes, we love his 349 on base percentage. But you can't bat 199 as the first baseman. That's a power position. Speaking of power positions, this is insane. Um, They have the batting averages per position here. Defensive positions, these are the offensive stats. First base, we know is bad, but it's mostly Santana. It was 197, all first baseman hit for the Indians. Left fielders, left fielders, supposed to be a power position here, an offensive position left field. You know, you've got Michael Brantley as a former left fielder. You've got, I mean, guys like David Justice and Albert Bell. I mean, Brian Giles. Like, think of the power hitters of the past that have played left field for the Indians. And the Indians this year in left field hit 170 as a collective. Anyone who played left field, 170 with a 529 OPS. That is awful. That is just terrible. If you, you, might have the visual test, right? The eye test might have told you that the Indians outfielders were terrible. Well, now you have a number to go tell people. Tell people that the left fielders for the Indians hit 170 this season. If anything says that Antonetti and Dolan need to get off the rear end and do something about this outfield, it's that left field position. All right, the starting pitchers obviously were fantastic. We all know Shane Bieber led this amazing pitching staff. The bullpen was, for the most part, okay, right? I think we're going to stick with okay for the bullpen. I think Nick Wickren had a pretty good season. I think Nick Wickren had a really good... It's weird because there's some guys on this team who they have a really high FIP, fielding independent pitching, so the home runs, the walks, the strikeouts, their FIP is really high, but their whip, walks, hits per inning pitch, is really low. You would expect if a pitcher is going really good, those two things would stay in sync. For example, Brad Hand has a 1.37 FIP, which is really good, really low, right? It looks just like an ERA on purpose. So a 1.37 is really good. His whip, also really good, 0.773. Nick Wickren has a FIP of 4.42, but he has a whip of 1.014. 
Those are in contrast to each other. That's really bizarre. There are a lot of guys in this bullpen that we are going to see next year. Another guy who has a bizarre one is Cam Hill. He's got a 5.43 FIP, but only a 0.873 whip. That makes no sense at all. Cal Quintrill we're going to see a lot again. Simber, I guess we're going to continue to see. Uh, Dominic Leone, maybe not. I think Dominic Leone uh, might be a free agent. Or might have an an up uh, this maybe another year of arbitration. It's a little unclear on Bleacher on uh, Baseball Reference. It says that he's going to be a free agent in 2022. So I'm guessing he might have another year of arbitration uh, coming up in 2021. So speaking of that, let's get into the payroll. Let's look at what's happening with these Indians players. We can continue to beat up the 2020 season, but. Uh, I mean, what is left to say? The offense was terrible. The pitching was fantastic. And they got destroyed by the Yankees. I mean, that sums it up. I, we summed it up in one sentence there. I I want to harp. I mean, there's so much we can complain about. But what's the point? Let's look ahead. Let's, look, let's see what's going to happen in 2021 here. Now, a lot of contract decisions are coming up here in 2021. There's only... $23.6 million actually committed on the payroll to 2021. Now, you add in the arbitration and things like that, chances are the payroll right now sits at about $65.8 million. If all the options were picked up, in theory, it would be about $101 million payroll. All right, so what are some of these options? Carlos Santana is the big one at the top. He's got a 17.5 million team option. It's actually a discount from his 2020 salary, which was at 20.83 million. I don't see it. I don't. I know Carlos Santana loves playing in Cleveland. He loved that he came back. He really feels comfortable here. But when you bat 199 as a first baseman, I'm sorry, we need more from first base. And at 17.5 million, I just don't see the Indians picking up that option. Now, what I do see happening, what I could see is the Indians offering him a deal saying, hey, Carlos, you're 34 years old. We'll give you two more years for $20 million. Something like that. Something that brings that total down to something manageable and gives him a little bit for his longevity with the team and kind of being one of the, you know, obviously one of the veterans on the team and we're going to need one or two veterans to stick around because this team is about to get young. This team is about to get real young. So I don't see them picking up this option. The other problem is you got guys knocking on the door. Jake Bowers plays first base. Bobby Bradley plays first base. Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor could be someone who ends up at first base eventually. So, I mean, at $17.5 million, not only is Santana not producing, but he's also blocking some of these guys, some of these guys you've had in AAA or at your alternate site that you need. You need these guys to step up and start playing, and we're going to get into all this. Crasco's going to be around for a long time. Uh, Jose Ramirez is going to be around for a long time. He's got op- They've both got options out to 2023. Brad Hand has a $10 million team option with a $1 million buyout, that one will be interesting because you if you're going to build this team around starting pitching, 
the two things you need to obviously support starting pitching is you need to be able to put up a few runs and you need to protect the lead that those starters give you. And there's nobody better on the team at doing that despite what happened against the Yankees. I know. I know you guys are pissed at him for what happened against the Yankees. It went terrible. It was also weird. He gave up some hits right up the middle. There was that chopper back to the mound. There were so many things that could have happened differently in that uh, in that inning. He got some rough calls, too. There was a slider that he definitely put on the corner of the plate that got called a ball and ended up causing costing some runs. So do they bring Brad Hand back for $10 million? I actually see this one as a possibility. They paid him $7.58 million this year. $10 million would be as much as you would pay a starter. I mean, as much as Carrasco made this year. But all your other starters are cheap. Shane Bieber is even, he's pre-arbitration. Everybody, Plesak, Savali, they're all pre-arbitration. Literally, the McKenzie, the only pitcher you're paying for right now is Carlos Carrasco. So I could see them bringing back a closer, an elite closer at $10 And, uh, you know, thinking, okay, at least we have that part of the bullpen figured out. And I know Karen Cech could close, but I really think Karen Cech needs more time. He needs more time to work on his command and to feel comfortable coming into high leverage situations. So with Kase maybe coming back after his suspension, I actually like them sticking with Brad Hand as the closer for now. So we'll see. We'll see if they pick up that 10 million option. Now Lindor has another year of arbitration. He made 17.5 million. People are anticipating that he can make over 20 million in 2021 based on arbitration, even though he kind of had a down year, there's still probably enough things that he did well to get that money. So Francisco Lindor, we'll talk about in a second. Roberto Perez has an option. They're definitely going to pick that up. Um, Cesar Hernandez is a free agent. It was a one-year deal for $6.25 million. Could they afford Cesar Hernandez? That's going to be a big Big question this offseason. What's going to be the market out there for free agents? Does Cesar Hernandez maybe sign another one-year deal just to get back to a normal season and then maybe sign a multi-year deal with somebody? It'll be Cesar Hernandez will be one of the most interesting cases because he's a guy that played up to his contract, totally played up to the money they gave him, and is probably worth more than $6.25 million. So does that go up to like a three for 30 kind of deal or something like that? I don't know. So we'll see what happens with Cesar Hernandez. Um, Sandy Leone's going to be a free agent. He's probably gone. With Austin Hedges here and enough catchers in the minor league system, he's probably gone. Delano De Shields has another year of arbitration, so he'll be sticking around. Technically, there's a $5 million team option on Domingo Santana. I do not see them picking that up. It's a $250,000 buyout. They're probably just going to buy out and let Santana walk. Naquin is into arbitration. Wickren is into arbitration. Oliver Perez is a free agent. Oh, say it isn't so. Yeah, the 38-year-old journeyman is probably... Who knows? He might sign again. There's a chance that we bring him back. I, Again, it's a weird season, so who knows what the market is going to be in the offseason for a 38, 39-year-old reliever. So who knows? Maybe we get one more season of Oliver Perez at a decent, at a fair price. 
And then, uh, yeah, so everybody else is pre-arbitration. There are tons of guys, most of the bullpen, most of the starting rotation. For me, Reyes, Jordan Luplo, these guys are still pre-arbitration years. Bradley Zimmer. So there's a lot of cheap players on this team that are going to be getting less than a million dollars to come back. Shane Bieber is going to be a really interesting case. If Francisco Lindor walks, do they then turn around would it be a great PR move to then turn around and give Shane Bieber a long-term contract? Buy out some of those years of free agency? Maybe give Shane Bieber like an eight-year, that, that what was that, like a seven-year, $100 million deal that Francisco Lindor turned down? Do you think Shane Bieber would sign that right now? That's going to be a fascinating case. I mean, there's a chance if they don't pick up the uh, team option on Carlos Santana, if they let Cesar Hernandez walk in free agency, you know, if he gets souped up by another team, and if they trade Francisco Lindor, you're looking at a completely different infield, a completely new infield. All right, now this, this is what I'm kind of excited about on this podcast, right? Who could those players be? Who could be that new infield if those three guys are gone? We could talk more about the Francisco Lindor trade possibilities as the rumors come out over the offseason because there is going to be rumors. Rumors to, who knows, Atlanta, L.A., Miami. Who knows where the rumors are going to take us this offseason, and we'll get into them. Are they going to trade Francisco Lindor? Are they going to pay him? I think Francisco Lindor knows how to say all the right things in a press conference. I really think Francisco Lindor knows how to say the right things to uh, really get the fans on his side and pit him and the fans against the front office. And I do I think the Indians are going to pay him? No, I don't see the Indians paying him You know what he's probably going to get on the open market. The Indians have never ever in their history ever shown that they're going to be a team that does that. And it's a shame because, I mean, we basically spent the last decade either waiting for Francisco Lindor to get here or then waiting for the Indians to build a team around him. And it really hasn't happened. I mean, the the teens, the 20 teens have given us a lot of fun Cleveland Indians teams and a lot of fun Cleveland Indians memories. But I think when you look back on this decade, Years from now, when, you know, the baseball writers in 2050 are writing books about the Francisco Lindor years, I think they're going to be coming from an angle of wasted opportunities and disappointment of not, you know, going, not pushing all your chips in when you had a chance to push all your chips in. So, yeah, so we'll we'll continue to talk about Lindor this offseason, you know, as we do episodes here and there, as, as breaking news happens and rumors happen. And All right, but who could be those guys? If all three of those guys are gone next year, what could you possibly be looking at for an infield? Well, let's assume that the Indians are not going to sign a major free agent, right? Let's just make that assumption. It's going to be internal. I mean, we've been in this like contention window for so long that you forget that most baseball teams are built internally, right? I mean, you have so many guys in your farm system. You need these guys to step up at some point. It feels like forever since we've had an offensive player step up from our farm system. 
I mean, uh, Jose Ramirez, Lindor, all came from our farm system. Santana was a highly touted prospect, but still is someone that we brought into the majors. He made his major league debut with Cleveland. Um, Roberto Perez, uh, you know, hasn't really exploded offensively at all, even though his defense has been outstanding. So, yeah. So when's the last time? Those guys have been around for a long time. When's the last star that came up offensively for Cleveland? It hasn't happened in a long time. We thought maybe Bradley Zimmer. We thought maybe, I mean, Mercado had a decent season, but then completely regressed. In fact, to be honest, my biggest disappointment this season, my biggest disappointment is Oscar Mercado. I really thought he could lock down the center fielder of the future, and it did not go well. So there is a lot of work to do on Oscar Mercado and his approach at the plate this offseason. All right, so who could these guys be? Well, at first base, there's two names that pop out, Bobby Bradley and Jake Bowers. Bowers goes back and forth between the outfield and first base. Obviously, there's something wrong with Jake Bowers, with his swing, with his offense, with his approach at the plate, that he didn't even make this team coming out of spring training or summer camp. You know, we had 30 roster spots, and he didn't fit in that 30 roster spots. So uh, Jake Bowers is going to have to earn something this offseason with the Indians' front office and with their coaching staff because he's a player who was supposed to be really... I mean, he came over in the Edwin Encarnacion, Carlos Santana, Yandy Diaz, very complicated trade. But part of it was swapping Encarnacion for um, Carlos Santana, and part of it was swapping Yandy Diaz for Jake Bowers. And we are losing that trade. We are losing that trade hard if Jake Bowers doesn't make it back to this major league roster at some point. Bobby Bradley, we've seen him for a cup of coffee or two with the Cleveland Indians. He's debuted. He's had a couple of bats. He reminds me of Jesus Aguilar, where he just, every time he came up, it felt like so much pressure for him to hit a home run that he didn't end up doing anything. And uh, the Indians kind of give up on guys like that. Now, Jesus Aguilar is in the playoffs right now with Miami. So he's been a really productive first baseman with Milwaukee Brewers first and now the Miami Marlins. So did the Indians give up on him too soon? Yeah, probably. Will they make the same mistake with Bobby Bradley? Or could, if Santana, if they don't pick up that option and Santana's gone, is this Bobby Bradley's position to win? Second base, I don't, I don't know. There is not a high second baseman really in this organization with any promise. Tyler Freeman was supposed to be playing at double A. Uh, Gabriel Arias, who we just got from the Padres in the Clevenger trade. He is a high A kind of guy, double uh, A kind of guy. Um, Owen Miller, the other guy that came over in the Padres, another double A guy. He probably could have seen his way up to triple A if this were a normal season. So, I mean, would they hot shot a guy like that? Or is Jose Ramirez going to go across the field? Is Jose Ramirez going to go back to second base and is uh, Nolan Jones going to get a shot at third base? Are they going to hot shot him into the majors to start a season? I mean, Nolan Jones probably would have been at AAA this year. He probably could have made his debut this year in a regular season. So, yeah, I'm those, I mean, in the middle infielders, it's, it's a little bit thin right now at the upper levels of the, of the minor league system. And then you got a shortstop, Yu Chang. If Lindor gets traded... 
and another shortstop doesn't come back. Like, there's a chance if they trade him to Atlanta, someone like Danby, Dansby Swanson could come back in the trade with, like, a highly touted outfielder. But if they make a trade that doesn't involve a shortstop, I think Yu Chang might be your starting shortstop in 2021, which is okay. I'm not mad about these things. I'm curious about these things. At one time, Yu Chang was a very, very highly regarded prospect in our system. He seems like a really enthusiastic, good guy to have on the team. He was crushing the ball in summer camp. I think Yu Chang has a future here. There is a chance, depending what the Indians do this offseason, that Yu Chang is either starting at second or st- starting a second, short, or third base for the Cleveland Indians this offseason. Now, I'm not saying he'd replace Jose Ramirez in the case that Jose Ramirez would go across to a different position then Yu Chang could start at third base in theory. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you were an odds maker, would you give the Indians a higher odds of re-signing Cesar Hernandez, re, uh, uh, you know, sticking with Lindor in a $20 million plus arbitration deal and giving up the chance to get a high value in a trade for him or starting Yu Chang? I think the odds would be in favor of Yu Chang starting for the Indians next year. It's a little bit exciting, right? Prospects are always exciting. I, I'm I'm trying to be positive about it. Uh, in the outfield, I think you're going to run into the same situation you ran into this year because all of these guys were young and under team control. Naquin, uh, Josh Naylor, Delino to Shields, all under team control. Fermio Reyes, all under team control. Luplo, Mercado, Zimmer, all under team control. And then the guys that were in the player pool, right? The guys that were training out of Lake County, Jake Bowers, Daniel Johnson, all under team control. Some of the highly touted prospects in the outfield really aren't there yet. A lot of guys are in like single A ball and stuff like that. There's some names down there. There's some high draft picks. I mean, George Valero right now is considered the second number two prospect in the system, at least according to fan graphs. But they're not ready. None of those guys, none of those names, Will Benson or anything like that, none of those names are going to be ready for the 2021 season. So you're looking at, unless the Indians sign somebody, sign anybody, they had a chance. They could have brought back a guy like Yasiel Puig, but they didn't. They decided to stick with the players in their system, and they're going to be stuck in that situation again. You very well, I know it's, it's... Painful to hear because they were one of the worst outfielders, one of the worst outfields in all of baseball, probably in all of baseball history. They were one of the worst offensive outfields. But Tyler Naquin is probably going to be around and probably going to be in right or left field. Josh Naylor is definitely going to be around after that, you know, playoff run that he went on in two games. But the energy, where was that guy all season? I mean, I don't remember him getting excited at all for the entire month of September. And also in the playoffs hit, and he turned into an animal. I want to see that Josh Naylor for 162 games. I don't know if any human being could keep up that level of energy for 162 games, but at least uh, that enthusiasm, right? That enthusiasm can be infectious. It would be really great to see Josh Naylor bring that level all season. Delino to Shields, I never want to see Delino to Shields in center field again. He has no arm. He takes terrible routes to the ball. He weirdly was like the fourth or fifth best hitter on this team. Like, he would just hit enough in spurts to keep his batting average up. It was really bizarre. I don't want to see Delino to Shields out there anymore. And uh, 
you know, looking at some of those other players, Daniel Johnson looked overmatched. Jordan Luplo is definitely, definitely just supposed to hit against left-handers unless it's miraculously the playoffs. And then suddenly, you know, he, he gets an amazing pinch hit. Oscar Mercado's the guy. Mercado needs to take the line out of Shields, his spot in center field. He has to. He has to claim it in spring training. We can't see. Oscar Mercado plays really good defense. The line out of Shields does not. He's fast, but that's it. He does not. He doesn't play the wall well. He doesn't throw well, and he takes bad angles. So Mercado has a chance to take back his position. He's got to get his offense and his vision fixed. And vision, I say vision more like a video game attribute, right? Like in a video game, someone there would have a vision rating. And it's basically how well you see pitches coming in, not literally getting his eyes checked at an optician. Um, Bradley Zimmer. Bradley Zimmer at one point was the top prospect in this system. He was a first-round pick. This thing is full of top draft picks. Delando Shields was a first-round pick. Tyler Naquin was a first-round pick. Josh Naylor was a first-round pick. Mercado was a second-round pick. Luplo was a third-round pick. Uh, there are a lot of top draft picks. We, we've spent a lot of draft picks on outfielders. Now, some of those were made by other teams, right? Okay, a lot of those guys came over in trades, but we need some of these guys to actually live up to their potential. Bradley Zimmer is the perfect example. If Bradley Zimmer was the player that we were expecting him to be when he first got called up from AAA, we would not be having this discussion right now. It would be Bradley Zimmer in the outfield, in maybe even center field, and be an all-star level player. So, yeah, there are a lot. I mean, you're going to be stuck with the same outfield. And I, I think they're just going to have to turn it over to Mercado and Zimmer and Naquin and Naylor and tell them to run with it. And just run with it. You got to get Bradley Zimmer out there. You got to get Mercado out there. I mean, Naylor could move to first base if uh, if Santana walks away. If you know, we, we let him go, we don't pick up that contract. Naylor could be at first base, and that opens up left field for Bradley Zimmer. All right, so that's my rant. That's my rant on the players we have to look ahead to. I, it, that doesn't look great from a hitting standpoint. From a pitching standpoint, it's going to be the same. It's literally going to be the same. You're going to have the same five starters to start next season. There's no way Tristan McKenzie doesn't get the opportunity to be the fifth starter again. Uh, Savali is the one that's probably got to worry. Savali was really shaky at the end there. He has to get his command under control. Otherwise, guys like um, Logan Allen, guys like Scott Moss. And Logan Allen, I, I was shocked. I really was expecting more. From Logan Allen, when he came over from the Padres, I, he he was part of that Trevor Bauer deal. Him and Scott Moss were supposed to be these pretty highly touted pitching prospects. And Logan Allen was pretty disappointing coming out of the bullpen. So there are some guys clipping at Aaron Savali's heels. But, I mean, Tristan McKenzie has definitely got to be in this pitching staff when they open the 2021 season. So, all right, there you go. There is looking ahead. I I love the offseason. As much as I love watching baseball being played, I love the offseason because the there's so much possibility, right? We start getting in our heads about all these great things that can happen. We get this fever during spring training where we think this thing could work out. This thing might actually work out. 
And there is a lot that has to happen between now and then. There are arbitration deals. There are free agent decisions. There are team option decisions. And then, of course, there is trading Francisco Lindor. Will the Cleveland Indians actually pull the trigger and trade the player who was supposed to be the centerpiece of this organization? I mean, nobody. If you put a poll on Twitter, there is not one single person that would say that the Indians actually are going to sign Francisco Lindor long-term. There, I, Dolans have never, never shown that they would ever go to that level to sign a player. So I think we all have to mentally be preparing ourselves for them to move on. The Indians have been showing us for a few years now that they have been quietly rebuilding this team. Now, you, you don't think it because you recognize a lot of these names, right? What, what are you talking about? We got Santana and Ramirez and Lindor and, um, you know, I, Tyler Nake was still messing around in the outfield. Like, we recognize these names. Roberto Perez, he's our guy. They've been quietly rebuilding this team for years now. That's what they've been doing. They've traded, obviously we know they've traded three Cy Young caliber pitchers in the last season and a half, Right? And what they've gotten back for that, they've gotten back some major league talent, yes, but they've gotten back a lot of lower-level minor league talent. They've filled up the farm system. That's what I mean by a slow rebuild here. And Lindor could be more of the same. We might get a major league caliber outfielder or something or a major league caliber infielder in return for Lindor. But I guarantee that Lindor deal is going to be jam-packed with prospects. Some of them might be AAA-level guys, guys knocking on the door, the next big player, just like the White Sox did, right, with Moncada and some of those guys that they've got, and Robert, some of those guys they've gotten in trades. I don't know, was Robert a trade or a draft? I don't know. But they've definitely added to their farm system through trades, and they have some stars in that offense to show for it, right? Guys took a year or two. But they've got some stars in that offense to show for it. Could the Indians do that? So far, they haven't. So far, the minor leaguers that they've traded for, whether it's Bauer or Clevenger or Kluber, none of those minor leaguers have made much of an impact yet. You got in a little bit of an impact from the major league guys, right? Fermil Reyes obviously has made an impact on this team. But you haven't gotten an impact yet from any of those minor league players in any of those deals. So... Is Lindor going to be more the same? Is it going to be filling up the minor league system with more possibilities, more chances at another star player to come along? If that's the case, 2021 might be a down year. It might be the year the Indians, what we call the right, the retooling year, where they retool a little bit, give a year for those players to grow. I don't want to see it. I want to be back in the playoffs. But the playoffs have not gone very well for us lately. And this team is coming up to a pivot point. This franchise is about to pivot into a new era. The Francisco Lindor era is probably coming to the end. And we are going to be moving on into something else. Maybe it's the Shane Bieber era. Maybe it's the Josh Naylor era. I I, I don't know. I don't know who is going to take it and run with this. I mean, maybe it's the Yu Chang era. Maybe he comes up and he's fantastic for the next six years. We are definitely at a pivot point, though, in this organization. So there is going to be a lot to talk about this offseason. 
I'm going to continue to do podcasts throughout the offseason, but it's going to be sporadic. I'm not just going to get on here every week and say the same thing I just said to you this morning. I'm going to get on when there's breaking news. If we really get into the rumor mill or the hot stove and things really start cooking, maybe I'll jump on. Uh, when they start to make some decisions on these team options and on these arbitration offers, you know, maybe they give guy a, give out some deals before they get into the arbitration process. I'll come on and do some more episodes. And then when we get into spring training uh, for 2021 season, and by the way, we don't know what the 2021 season is going to look like. Are they going to stick with the regional schedule? Are they going to stick with a shortened season? Are they going to play 162? I Who knows what coronavirus is going to cause in 2021? So with all that said, I'll continue to do some episodes during the offseason, and then we will hit it hard again once the season starts going again, and once spring training starts going again. So Thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. And thanks for joining me on all of these Cleveland baseball mornings. I can't tell you what it means that everyone out there is taking the time to listen, whether you're walking the dog or driving to work, whatever you do, maybe you're on the treadmill right now. The fact that you want to sit down and talk a little baseball with me, I hope it's made your summer more enjoyable. I hope it's made watching the Cleveland Indians more enjoyable. I love talking about this sport, obviously, and I'm really appreciative that there are fans out there that enjoy a good baseball conversation. So uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give the show a star rating. So far, we've gotten all five-star reviews, which I can't tell you how awesome and how cool that is. So keep the momentum going. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, Jump on really quick. Give the show a star rating. Maybe leave a review. We've got a one review. If you've got two minutes, leave a quick review. It helps other people find the show, and it grows the Cleveland Baseball Mornings community. I, I Thank you. Just saying thank you so much. I hope you really enjoyed the 2020 season. As crazy as it was, I think we all can agree we're lucky that we just got a baseball season. So those are all my thoughts for now. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. As the offseason, as the hot stove picks up, let me know your thoughts on all the rumors, all the transactions going down. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.